the early church now, they have grown. We have talked about that. I mean, thousands upon thousands upon thousands have been saved and added to the church, especially at Jerusalem. But mostly the ones that have been saved have been which people group? The Jews. Now, we met the Samaritans earlier, but mostly the ones that have been saved have been the Jews. So here we have the church that has grown, advanced greatly in 10 years. Thousands have been saved, but they're still struggling. There's no doubt that they are struggling getting the message of God, the message of the gospel to non-Jews. And because of this, there was still a lot of partiality and a lot of prejudice on display. You see, in this day, the great rivalry was a deep, complex, hostile rivalry between Jews and Gentiles. The rivalry was cultural, was racial, was religious. And what happened in the Apostles' day is happening in our day as well. There were barriers that had been put up. The ancient Greeks even divided humanity into two groups, Greeks and barbarians. They thought anyone that wasn't a Greek is a barbarian because they didn't understand the the Greek language. So basically, words to the Greek that if you didn't speak Greek, it sounded like bar-bar. So that's why they said barbarian. One Greek historian asked rhetorically this question. He said, how can men who can only bark ever rule the world? I mean, it's funny when you think about it, but the same, it's, it's sad, right? How can men that only bark ever rule the world? Because that was their their perception of anyone that is not a Greek. They are nothing. (laughs) They are meaningless. They are insufficient. You know, you think about all the the Greek philosophers, you know, the the Aristotles, and there was something that I read about Aristotle earlier this week and about only only the the smart, sophisticated, you know, were actually going to do something in the world. But again, he was classifying who was smart and who was sophisticated. But the truth is we all have built-in prejudices that God must break down in order for us to be effective in his service. And what we're going to learn today is that Peter had the same struggle. And what we're going to learn specifically from this passage is that the gospel transcends our prejudice. You know, the Bible is clear on what it wants us to do. Peter and so many others struggled with this concept They struggle with getting the gospel to more than just their own people. And honestly, the truth truth remains today. Our churches are full of individuals that struggle getting the gospel to people outside their people. You know, I understand, depending on the area you're you're living in, you know, you might not necessarily be a multi-ethnical church. There might be just a couple people groups in that location which you're living in. But really, the church, should the church be multi-ethnical? It should. We've been talking about this in Revelation because in Revelation it says that every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, every people, every nation will be where? Gathered around the throne. And again, I know in our mortal bodies and, you know, Sin still reigns within us sometimes. You know, we struggle with that concept. But when we get to heaven, it's not going to just be Americans. (laughs) It's not going to just be Texans up there. There's going to be a lot of other people groups. And again, we have to understand that here on this earth, all the problems that you see on the news really come back to this. The fact that Christians need to step up. 
It's not about accepting people for who they are. It's about giving them the truth of the gospel and sharing the truth of the gospel and helping us understand that the gospel unites. Look, I, I saw that specifically when we were in Africa a couple weeks ago. They obviously looked different than I looked. Definitely than Tasha, because Tasha is very white. She doesn't get out in the sun very much. Just kidding. But the, the thing that I, I saw, and I'm sure she saw as well, that there was a unity there, right? There was a unity there. There was a unity, and it didn't matter how we looked. We had a commonality. What was the commonality, Tasha? We have Jesus. And that's the awesome thing. That with Jesus, we are, we are part of his family. We are all really the same, and, and, and God doesn't see colors. He doesn't see, well, you can't talk as good as this person. He doesn't see that. Hey, you are mine if you are a child of God. And that's what we're trying to understand. Look, at the end of chapter number 9, verse number 43, and it says, And it came to pass that he tarried, this is talking about Peter, many days in Joppa with one Simon a tanner. Now, this was a very big deal. A tanner's work was necessitated by touching carcasses of dead animals to turn them into leather. Now, this wasn't very kosher for Jews. This was taboo to a pious Jew who didn't believe in touching dead or unclean animals. And Peter was staying in the house of someone that he would have never stayed with. Now, there's a reason for this, and we'll get to it in just a minute. But he is staying in Joppa on the Mediterranean coast. It was the city where the prophet Jonah had fled from God and boarded a ship to Tarshish about 30 miles north of Joppa. Some 65 miles northwest of Jerusalem was the Roman province capital, Caesarea, where the governor lived. And under his authority, some 3,000 troops, including the Italian cohort, and serving under this unit was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, meaning that he had a hundred people under his leadership. Verse number one of chapter 10, the Bible says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. This doesn't mean like he had, you know, instruments and stuff like that. He was in the Italian band. It's not what it's talking about. The, the group of individuals, the, the regiment that he was in was the, the Italian band, the Italian cohort. So to set the stage, we have a Gentile Roman soldier representing the despised occupation of Israel, residing in the main city of the Roman occupation, 30 miles south, you have Jewish apostles, temporarily residing at the spot where Jonah had taken off in disobedience to his commission to preach to Israel's enemy. And we know the story of Jonah. Jonah struggled with that too. All right, God, I preached to him now. Just wipe him off the planet. Because those people of Nineveh didn't deserve anything. In Jonah's mind, right? And again, we are no different. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope these people get saved, but I really hope God just obliterates them. Right? And again, we, we like to pick and choose who we think God should obliterate. Now again, there are certain instances where people just do horrible things doesn't even necessarily have to be someone that doesn't look like us. They can do horrible things to an individual. God, you just need to take care of that individual, right? Sometimes that's our immediate response. God, just wipe that scum off the earth. Look, I've thought that thing. I've thought those things. You have too. 
But how is that going to help people receive Jesus Christ when we have that attitude? How is that going to help the gospel go forward when all we see is individuals who need to be wiped out instead of individuals that need to receive Jesus? Again, it goes back to what we've talked about earlier, that we have been activated, right? We've been activated. We are that match that is useless unless it's been struck. Once it's been struck, there's fire. It can create a whole lot of problems, good and bad. We talked about the orange last week, that on the surface, the orange, it's, it's great, but if, if, if that orange were to sit, what would happen in a couple weeks or a couple months? It would what? It would rot. And that's where many Christians are. They are an orange that looks good on the outside, but they are rotting away when inside you cut it open, you peel it open, there is sweetness within it. There are seeds within it that if you plant those seeds, those seeds will spread and, and others could receive the good news of the gospel. You see, what we have to do is we have to break down this barrier. And we're met with two individuals, Cornelius and Peter. And the first thing that we see in this story is this, Cornelius, a Gentile who is searching for salvation. Cornelius, verse number two, the Bible says he was a devout man one that feared God with all his house, feared, uh, uh, which gave much alms to the people. He prayed to God always. He, he wanted to know God, but he was a little misguided. Verse 3, he saw in a vision, evidently uh, about the ninth hour, about probably 3 o'clock in the afternoon, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for memorial before God. Hey, I've heard your prayers. And now send men to Joppa. I want you to send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. I want you to call for a guy named Peter. And I'm going to tell you where he's actually at so you can go specifically to this place. I mean, just imagine going to a city. Hey, Simon, Peter, is there a Peter here? Oh, God's given him specific directions. He lodgeth with one Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the seaside. So he's giving him more specific location. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. So we have Cornelius. He is searching for salvation. He is a Gentile. He has this vision. And in this vision, God says, I want you to go and find Simon Peter. Now, we move on, verse number nine. Then we're met with Peter. Peter, if you want to put this in your notes, he is a Jew-confused with his commission. Now again, the commission was not just for some. The commission was for all. It wasn't just for the select. It was for any and all groups of people. But Peter had preconceived bias and prejudices that were on full display, and God had to break them down, and breaking down those barriers takes time and takes energy. Verse number nine, let's just read the text and we'll walk through it this morning. Verse number nine, on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So he's going up 
to pray to God on top of the house, you know, by the sea. I mean, what a, what a view that must have been. And he became very hungry, like many of you are today. And he would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. So he's having his own vision. God is giving him his own vision. And saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit on the four corners, and let down to the earth. So he sees this great sheet, wherein, verse number 12, were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts. Now, quickly, in the Jewish culture, there were certain things that they could not eat. They could not touch. This goes back to, I think it's, uh, it's Leviticus chapter 11 or Numbers chapter, uh, Leviticus number 11, sorry. Leviticus chapter 11, which talks about the things that were clean or unclean and things that they could touch versus not touch. So that's kind of setting the stage. Verse number 12, wherein all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, again, the connotation is the fact that a Jewish person, they had preconceived notions based on Old Testament law that there are certain things that they could not eat, certain things that were unclean, certain things that they could not touch. Now, Peter is told to kill and consume these creatures that were once deemed forbidden. These food restrictions had long isolated Jews from Gentiles. Verse 14, but Peter said, No, whoa, whoa, not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Lord, um, that, this, no, this, this isn't good. I can't do this. It's not possible. Verse 15, And the voice spake unto him again the second time. So, He's already speaking, spoken once and said, all right, hey, I want you to go kill this animal and eat this animal. Peter's like, nope, I can't do it. First time. Voice speaks to him a second time. What God hath cleansed, that call not, not thou uncommon. So, hey, whatever God hath cleansed, who are you to say it's not clean? That's basically what the voice is saying here. And really, on a, on a deeper level, here is, here is what God is saying. that Hey, you know, don't call something unclean what I've called clean, but here, here it is on a deeper level for us. Don't call someone unsavable that I want to be saved. I know unsavable is not a word, but that's really the heart of what God is getting at with Peter. Don't call an individual unsavable who I want to be saved. Verse 16, this was done thrice. That means three times. So how, how many are stubborn, hard-headed? Anybody? Yeah. Now, if this were me, it would have been, it would have said, now this was done 158 times, and he still didn't get it. I mean, honestly, anybody with me on there? Yeah. You know, many of us are. I mean, three times God spoke to him, hey, this is what I want you to do. Uh, I don't know about that, Lord. Don't you know what the Jewish law is? Of course he knows. Don't you know what we're not supposed to eat and that we're not supposed to touch? This was done thrice. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, this is important, verse 17. While Peter doubted. Anybody ever doubt? 
Struggle with doubts. Now there's a whole other message right there. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision should mean, behold, again, he's struggling with this, with this concept. What, what, is, what is God talking about? It's not specifically about his dietary intake. Now, that was what he was talking about, but it was, it was deeper. So while he is doubting and confused as to why God is giving him this vision, all of a sudden, what happens? Three men were sent from Cornelius's house, and they're basically, they're standing at Simon's house at his gate knocking. Now, it's pretty cool when you think about it. While he is doubting, God sends something to Peter. Three guys standing at his door. Continue on, verse number 18. And call and ask whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. And while Peter thought on the vision, again, trying to think about what's going on, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Hey, I've got an answer for all the things that you're doubting. Arise, therefore. Get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing. For I have sent them, these individuals that are different than you, I have sent them to you. Quit doubting. Verse 21. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, hey, I, I'm the one that you're seeking. But he's, he's basically asking, Hey, why'd you come? Verse 22. And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one that feareth God and of good report among the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into this house and to hear words of thee. So we were sent from God. Verse number 23, then called he them in and lodged them. So they stayed there. And then on the morrow, on the next day, Peter went away with them. And certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Now, this is very important as well. So these guys weren't just walking companions. They were going to serve as witnesses as to what was going to happen next. Verse 24, And on the morrow and the next day, after they entered into Caesarea, Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. So he got a bunch of people together. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him. And he fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Now, now Peter was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, don't worship me. Stand up. I'm just a man. I'm just like you. I'm nothing special. Verse 27. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is unlawful for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come in one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Now, that's important right there. Verse 28. Hey, it's customary in our day that a Jew doesn't do fellowship, doesn't have fellowship with someone that's not a Jew. They don't fellowship with someone that's of another nation. But God showed me in a vision, and he spoke to me three times, and I still didn't listen to him. And he basically told me that, hey, what I call clean, you can't call unclean. That's what he says here that I should not call any man common or unclean. Verse 29, Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for. I asked therefore, for what intent have you sent me? Why have you sent me? What is the specific purpose behind all this? Verse 30, And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, 
Thine alms are had remembrance of thy, in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodged in a house by one of Simon and Tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. In verse 33, Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done, thou art come. You, you, you've, you've, you've been the answer to, to my prayer. Now therefore, we're all here present before God to hear what God wants to give us. Now, what, what an awesome opportunity right there. Hey, I, I brought a big, big group of people, and we are here listening, whatever you want to tell us. Uh, I think any preacher would love that. Hey, we are ready and eager to hear what you have to say. Go ahead. I brought my whole family. I brought my friends. Give it to us. Verse 34. And Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth. This is important. We're going to end in verse 35 today, and then we'll give an application. But then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. You know what Peter is saying here? God doesn't play favorites. I perceive that God isn't partial. That God isn't prejudiced. That God doesn't just like some and dislike others. Verse 35, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So Peter says, I get it. The light bulb is finally clicking. God doesn't play favorites. He's not partial. He's not a respecter of men. He loves all men. And he wants all men, all women, all children, whoever they are, whatever they look like, to come receive him. And Peter then launches into the, the good news of the gospel over the next several verses, and we'll, we'll get back to this next week. But he basically is telling him that Jesus, the Messiah, is the Lord of all. That Jesus was empowered by the Spirit to liberate the devil's captives, that he died under the curse deserved by others. He was raised up to reign forever, that Jesus will judge everyone, that forgiveness is for any who trust in Jesus' name. The message that Peter declared unto Cornelius is that salvation is an open door for anyone to receive it. That's important, church. Salvation is an open door for any who will receive it. All right, how many know what this is? It's a mirror. It's a big... Uh, start wearing this around. It's going to bling. Like Iron Man. <laughs> Just kidding. No, it was just an easy mirror to get. All right. Uh, simple question today. What can you do with a mirror? Some mirror looking at yourself and fixing up yourselves. You're about to break it. Yes. David? Catch stuff on fire. Of course. There's always one pyro, and David is our guy. <laughs> what else can you do with the mirror? See what's wrong. See what's wrong? Look around corners, yeah. <laughs> Try not to hit people. Anybody else? Reflects light. It reflects light, yes. Now, with that being said, have you ever noticed that a mirror has no power to reflect anything else unless there is light? Go ahead. Try it. Not right now, but try it. 
go into a very, very, very dark room, void of all light, and stand in front of the mirror. You won't see anything. Because the mirror cannot reflect anything unless there is light. Now, you're like, well, I go into a dark room and I can still see myself. Well, because there's still light that seeps through. But if you go into a room that is completely void of light whatsoever, you won't be able to see anything, even if it's right in front of your face. Literally. I tried it just to make sure. It works. Still couldn't see myself, but I hit myself in the face. Couldn't see myself. The mirror could not reflect anything because the mirror in itself has no power to reflect anything. It must first turn to the light in order to reflect something, right? So in the same way, think about our lives. In the same way, we cannot reflect anything of ourselves, can we? Whose image are we supposed to reflect? Christ. In the same way, we have no power to reflect in our own strength, but we were made in God's image. We are the imago Dei. If you're a child of God, you are made in God's image. You are his image bearer. You reflect, not yourself, you reflect the light of Christ. And as God's image bearers, we were made to, in a sense, be God's mirrors. We were made to reflect the fact that God shows no partiality, that God is not a respecter of persons. A mirror is a powerful tool, but it has no power to reflect anything if there is not light. This mirror is, I'm not going to drop it. My wife would be mad at me because it's something in my office. But this mirror is useless if there is no light to reflect the image to ourselves. Everything that becomes illuminated by the light. And as a disciple of Jesus, listen, we are called to provide light. By living the life that Jesus has called us to live, a life that seeks after righteousness and seeks after holiness and truth. And what happens is we will shine bright and make an impact on the world. More ways than we can ever imagine. But the reality is, as God's mirror, we are God's mirror, as God's mirror, most of us aren't reflecting anything. We're not reflecting the image that we're supposed to be reflecting. Because we have closed ourselves off from the gospel, closed ourselves off from what the Bible says, and in a sense, we have put ourselves in a room that is void of all light. So what good is this mirror if it's in a room that is void of light? It's no good. It's not going to show me anything, literally. It's going to show me absolutely nothing because there is no light to reflect the image. So, again, if we are a child of God, we have been what? We have been activated. We have been activated for a purpose to reflect God's light to a world that desperately needs it. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, Paul shows us that light makes darkness visible. And light awakens the sleeping. So in your Christian life, where do you stand right now? Are you literally wide awake in the, in the fact that, that you are a child of God, you understand that, and it's your job to be activated, to go and share the good news of the gospel with the world that needs to hear it? Or are you kind of still in the shadows taking a nap, <laughs> not wanting to be bothered? Or are you just in the dark completely, just sleeping and not wanting to be 
touch, not want to be bothered at all. The point I'm trying to make goes back to that orange illustration. So many of us are just, you know what? Hey, we're, we're an orange. Look at me. I'm saved. There's a lot of potential in me. But we're not doing what the orange was created to do. It wasn't created to be decoration. It was created to be cut open, right? To be cut open and to enjoy the sweetness of the orange. And then you could also then take the seeds within the orange and then share them and spread them and plant them and cultivate them. And what happens is you eventually, it might take some years, but you can eventually get a tree, a bush that will then produce other oranges. Now remember, we are made in the image of God. And listen, listen to this. This is important. To value others is to value God. But to disvalue others is to directly offend God. Let me say that again. To value others is to value God, but to disvalue others is a direct offense to our creator. And many of us might be just as guilty as Peter. They're just a common individual. They're they're worthless. They deserve to be obliterated. They deserve to die. I'm not going to do anything. Maybe God will send someone else. But what if we are the someone else that was supposed to be sent? And I'm pretty confident, knowing Scripture, that we are the someone else that is called to be sent if we are a child of God, right? We are the one that is supposed to go and share the gospel with others. Look, God is not a respecter of persons. He is not partial. And again, he chose Israel to be a vehicle. You know what a vehicle is good for? It takes you places, right? You hop in a vehicle and you go somewhere. That's good. We are the vehicle to what? To take the message of Christ to a world that needs to hear it. Are we awake? You know, a vehicle that's just sitting in the parking lot or sitting in our garage is useless, but it's worth a lot of money, right? But it's useless if it's not ever driven. So too are we useless for Christ if we are never doing what God has called us to do. And if you're saved today, then you are his vehicle. God doesn't just save you for yourself. The gospel doesn't just save you for yourself. The gospel, when the gospel truly gets a hold of you, listen to this. When the gospel truly gets a hold of you, it transcends your prejudice. So those of us that still struggle with prejudice, with racial or you know, social and, and all kinds of other things, if we still struggle with that, then maybe the gospel truly hasn't gotten a hold of us. I'm not saying you're not saved. That's not what I'm saying. But when the gospel truly gets a hold of an individual, it transcends all that. You don't see people by their color, by how they talk. You see people as a soul for which Christ died. And you see the individual that needs Jesus. And that's what I want desperately for us to understand. Listen to me. God never wanted to just be God to Israel. He wanted to be God through Israel. God was never as exclusive as the Jews made him out to be. And the truth is, God is never as exclusive as Christians make him out to be. Here's the key truth that we close with this morning. 
The truth of this narrative is that Jesus wanted Cornelius. He wanted Peter. And he wants you. Jesus doesn't send the message just to you. He sends the message through you. And that's what we learn from this story, and that's what we'll learn as we continue it next week. But the message wasn't just to Peter, and that's it. The message was to Peter to go through Peter to share with others. And that's what God was trying to get a hold of him. Yeah, he struggled with his partiality. He struggled with his differences. He struggled with basically racial profiling. He didn't like certain individuals and certain groups, and I'm not going to do that. And God said, hey, who are you to call someone that I made unclean? And the truth is for us today, who are you to call someone that I made unclean that doesn't look like you, that doesn't sound like you, that doesn't dress like you, that lives in a different neighborhood than you live? Who are you to call them unclean? Who are you to not go and share the gospel with them? If you are saved, you are a child of God, you have been activated. You are the mirror that is supposed to reflect the light of Jesus. But what are you reflecting? Let's pray.